Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, April the 8th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva, and you can check out the show all the time over at our friends at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and uh, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Also, check us out at The Grueling Truth which uh, is a member of the uh, iHeart Radio and Network. Hope everybody's uh, doing well. Uh, certainly you can't get much better of a start than uh, the New York Mets have uh, gotten off to over the last week. Really one of these rare podcasts where you can go on, and, and what is there really to analyze other than keep on cruising, right? And that's, uh, that's kind of what we're going to do today. A little bit of a different day of radio. Uh, Brian Wright, a uh, new author, just came out with a book. It's actually being uh, uh, launching tomorrow, April 9th, uh, Mets and Tens, Best and Worst of an Amazing History. And what Brian has done is take the Mets history and kind of put it into top 10 lists, something a little bit different to get. And I know all the time I talk about sports debate, but this is somewhat of a situation where we're trying to get some sports debate into a uh, somewhat intelligent kind of uh, dialogue in, in, in an era of, of really bad radio and, and really stupid debate uh, all over social media. 
Uh, I think Brian's trying to bring that together in, in a different way. So Brian will be joining me in uh, just a couple of minutes, and we'll talk about the launch of his new book, the release of his book, Mets and Tens, Best and Worst of an Amazing History. Now, uh, Mets are on tonight at 8 p.m., so this is one of those rare podcasts where we can't fully wrap up the week. But regardless of what happens tonight, and it will be really interesting to see as Matt Harvey's pitching against Tanner Roark, and, I mean, the whole week has pretty much been in lousy baseball weather, whether it was when the Mets were playing at City Field or down in Washington, D.C. So an 8 o'clock game with the way the weather's been here on the East Coast, Northeast, I know that's the Mid-Atlantic down in Washington, D.C., probably is going to be a favorable climate for the pitchers. Uh, with that said, Matt Harvey pitched pretty well his first outing. I know that that was in a very cold and dreary City Field. So as things begin to normalize, I'm curious to see, is Matt Harvey back? What version of Matt Harvey can the Mets expect? And like I said in last week's podcast, you know, this is great. Mets are off to a 6-1 start. I really can't sit back and complain about too much. I mean, the biggest issue this team has right now is holding runners on. And that will be an issue, and that will be something that if teams have noticed that you can run on the catchers, and part of the reason you can run on the catchers is that the starting pitchers still are struggling with holding runners on, uh, that's going to be something that has to be addressed because uh, walks are going to turn into doubles very quickly, and it's a lot harder for a pitcher uh, to get out of a runner on second no-out situation versus a runner on first uh, you know, situation. That, that, that's, that goes without saying. But uh, I said this, and this has been a theme all spring. It's been a theme all winter. And I knew as the Mets made some, I thought, very stealth, under-the-radar type move because they were signing players that weren't the cream of the free agent class, but I thought the players that fit in well to what they were trying to do. I kept saying there's a lot of talent on this team, and everybody kept talking about what a mess the Mets were and how bad they were. And I said, you know, you can't luckily go to the World Series. What happened in 2015 from July 31st to the end of the year, you can't just say that was an anomaly because they did make the playoffs in 2016 – even though they played poorly, and I could make the argument, like I said, that they, uh, you know, the competition played down to a level which allowed them to hang around. The problem you've had with the Mets over the last couple of years is that you just haven't felt that this is a team that was well-prepared and equipped to start the season. You always felt that they came into the season, and it was almost like spring training just started. Well, now let's kick it in, that they used the entire spring as a way to chill and hang out. And you heard the mantra that they're a second-half club, so they would use – the first three or four months to get into it. And quite simply, you can't win like that. The way the Mets went to the World Series, the way the Mets won in 2015, is not the right way to do it. Uh, the way they got to the playoffs in 2016, basically starting their season the second week of August, is not the right way to do it. It's, the, it's a low percentage success rate. And then last year, things never got off to a good start. And what you're seeing here is a team that has come out and they still have the issues, like you, like we've been saying, you know, you don't know how they're going to stay healthy. There isn't a heck of a lot of speed on this club. Yeah, the opposition's probably going to take a base or two as a stolen base. Defensively, I think they've shown to be a little bit better than in the past, uh, especially when they have guys like Lagaris. I think uh, Frazier has been a huge upgrade. Rosario seems a little bit more crisp than he was when he came up last year. Uh, even Adrian Gonzalez as a first baseman is going to be an improvement. I mean, Cabrera hasn't been too bad at second. Uh, I don't think the outfield is bad at all. 
you know, they have some limitations, but they are certainly going out there and making a statement, and they're 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 playing each game uh, uh, with a sense of urgency. And they're not going to be at a seventh game of the World Series urgency. There's going to be lulls the, the, the throughout the year, but they have gone out and they made it a point for this first seven to ten days to say, hey, things are going to be different. They want to set the tone. It reminds me, and I know it's somewhat of uh, a lazy comparison because it's easy, of how they did it in 2006. Look, the 2016 got off to a great start. Uh, they lulled out a little bit and, uh, and flattened out a little bit. Then they went on that huge road trip. What was that, a 901 road trip in June? And they rode that road trip and that early season success the rest of the year. And they won a division based on that. And, and, and any time that team went out there, and had to make a statement they did, whether it was beating the Braves, beating the Phillies, sweeping the Phillies in Philadelphia. Uh, when they needed to win a game during that regular season, they did. And so far, this team has done that. Now, there's a lot of baseball to play, and the Washington Nationals are not going to roll over tonight and uh, allow the Mets to sweep them. And let's remember, Daniel Murphy's not in the lineup. They had a, a peculiar ejection in Anthony Rendon. But I think that you have to take notice of the seriousness of how the Mets are going about their uh, their work. And you also have to like, and I know that it's real easy to look good as a manager when pretty much your entire bullpen has an ERA of zero. I mean, right now, Hansel Robles uh, is really the only one that's given up any runs. Yeah, you got Seawold and Rom give up some runs against the Cardinals last Sunday, but everybody else is perfect. Uh, you've lost Anthony Swarzak in that, so you're down a man in that. Uh, you know, the starting rotation has been pretty good. And that's the funny part. They've been pretty good. The Grom and Syndergaard haven't been great. Uh, actually, Syndergaard has is, is probably performed the worst out of all the starters through the first turn of the rotation. So it's hard to criticize Mickey Callaway, but you can see everybody is aware of their role. They, they understand what's expected of them. There's no confusion. You know, here's Jerris Familia. I don't know how cool he would have been in prior years coming in this early for a five-out save. And to hear him talk about the importance of the five-out save this early shows me he understands sending a message to the Washington Nationals, winning these type of games when you're on the road, when you're hard-fought, when you come back a couple of times. Winning those games is important, and you can see how serious that this team is taking it. So uh, really good signs early. They've passed an early first test, and that is the biggest thing. This team hasn't been passing tests at all over the last couple of years, at all. Uh, it was a consistent gripe of me that they'd go to Washington and get clobbered, and then you'd always hear, well, you know, uh, you know, we're, we still have a lot of time. We have to do better. You never really felt they'd go out and pass any of the big key tests throughout their season. They would certainly go on runs, and they would certainly beat up on sub-500 clubs, but they never would head-to-head uh, pass those tests. And I think this is, this is the best test series I've seen this team pass since uh, late 2015 when they went into Washington and swept the Nationals. Now, it's very early, like I said. So this is, uh, you know, part of it is somewhat of an overstatement. And, you know, you could take the numbers and, and, and you know, you see the numbers, the, the most strikeouts through seven games in Major League history. Uh, the pitching staff has an ERA of 2.14, whip of one. You know, they've held opponents to a 181 batting average, the lowest in, in baseball. Their on-base percentage offensively is number two. I mean, look, some of this with the pitching has to do with the weather being awful. Let's see how this goes uh, in Arizona uh, in, a, in a controlled environment with the ball flying out. Uh, you know, let's see on the West Coast trips and, and, and when you have 
a tired staff when you've played 11 games in 12 days and you don't have all the days off. But regardless, a fine start. You see a seriousness and a professionalism and a focus that has not been present for a long time and maybe never was present outside of a few smattering times in the Tyree Collins era. So uh, that's where you're at. Way too early to get too deep into this Mets start other than feel good about it. Uh, It's a great way to kick off the 2018 baseball season, and there's a lot of solid signs. And I'll be very curious to see how uh, this momentum, this early momentum, how they capitalize on that and continue that as they play the Nationals tonight, and then they go on to Miami. As I said last week, the fact that they're winning with DeGrom and Syndergaard pitching, eh, those are the games that you know that they could beat anybody, anywhere, anytime. It's the Harvey, the Lugo, um, the, you, know, the, you know, the Vargas starts, Matt starts. Those are the starts that you, know, you need to see. What do they have there? What do they have the other three days out of five? And how competitive are they going to be? How are those pitchers going to keep them in ball games? And you got an affirmative answer yesterday with Stephen Matz, who uh, as as has been written about by a few of the columnists in this in this town. He's the the wild card here, and I think he could be that you know Al Leiter, Jerry Kuzman type lefty for this rotation. I really do. If he stays healthy and he and he continues, as Mickey Calloway says, to pitch with conviction and 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 really trust. His, uh, his stuff. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, Brian Wright, Mets and Tens. Let's talk about this new book coming out and get a, into a little bit of uh, some Mets debate and the top 10 list and things. Let's learn a little bit about what's going on with Brian Wright and his new project. We'll take a quick break. When we return, Brian Wright, Mets and Tens, right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, and joining us is Brian Wright. He is the author of a new book actually coming out in a couple of days, Mets and Tens, uh, The Best and Worst of an Amazing History. You could check out uh, Brian on Twitter at BrianWright86. He's also on Facebook and Instagram. We'll, we'll get into that in a, in a couple of minutes. Uh, Arcadia Pub and History Press, courtesy of those two uh, houses, and Brian is with us now. Brian, well, welcome to the program. Good way to start off the 2018 baseball season. I had uh, Skip Lockwood on last week talking about his book. I know a lot of books will be coming out. Keith Hernandez has a book coming out in, uh, in the near future, a book about Davey Johnson. Lots of Mets stuff coming out. You are now in the middle of all that, and uh, so far, a couple of days to go. Uh, are you ready for your big, uh, your, your big book debut? I'm as I'm as ready as I'll ever be. This is, you know, as you said, my first my first book. I was just checking Amazon before we spoke, and you know, you have one of those features. You know, if you like, you know, if you want to buy this book, you can also buy this book, and it's mine 
combined with Keith Hernandez's book. It's the first time in my life I've ever been in the same lineup with Keith Hernandez and probably the only time. Well, you never know. He might follow you. He's on Twitter now. He might follow you on Twitter. So there's always a possibility about that. But um, uh, he, a couple of things. First, uh, so this is interesting. So there's been books about lists and things like that. And this is this looks to me like it might become a good debate book or, or a conversational book for Mets fans at the bar or when you're trying to kill some time during a blowout or before a game. Give me the motivation behind bringing this book together and putting this together. Um, and why is this different for the Mets fans as they uh, as they take a look at it on Amazon or at their local bookstore? Why, why would they want to purchase this book start next week? Well, to, to answer your second question, it pretty much why they would want to buy it is just a different look at the history of the Mets. Uh, you know, most books about the Mets are chronological, or you know, they have you know a list of or the rundown of all the players, or the greatest players. Uh, I figured uh, I'd do a try to try to have a different perspective on the history of Mets baseball. So it's uh, the entire history of the Mets kind of uh, put together in, in the, the puzzles put together in a different way, just in, in 30 different lists. Uh, the motivation behind it or the kind of the origin of it uh, was actually back in the two, 2015 playoffs uh, when Chase Utley uh, ran into, broke the leg of Ruben Tejada at second base in the second game of that division series and for all intents and purposes got away with it. Um, and that inspired me to think, well, where does Chase Utley now rank in the greatest, not that I was doing any rankings, but I was thinking in my head, where does he rank among the greatest villains in, uh, against the Mets? You know, is he, is he more of a villain now than Chipper Jones? And that kind of uh, accentuated once uh, he didn't get suspended and then next year happened and he, you know, he, hit, he must hit a grand slam, seemed like every game. Uh, that kind of said, and then I kind of, started to think, well, you know, what are other top 10 lists I could do? And I had been writing off and on for other websites, uh, worked for Bleacher Report, uh, worked for a site called The Sports Daily, and most of my work there were, were top 10 lists. And I realized that this was kind of something, this kind of debate, right, kind of debate writing, and this is a silly way to put it, but writing that insights debate uh, was was something interesting. Uh, so the Mets were, Mets were the one thing that I could I could write a book about uh, for, for uh, in a way uh, to do it. So you know, because people don't know who I am. So uh, the only way to try to get my foot in the door uh, in the book realm would be about the Mets. So uh, it was I, I was intending to make it a self-published book. Uh, Arcadia and the History Press came through. Uh, I reached out to them. I think it was like January last year, and I'm fortunate enough that they they took my 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 idea. I did not, not think it would eventually get to this point. It's really listen. Writing a book, I haven't done it. I've had friends who have done it. I'm sure you have friends in the business that have done it. It is a big undertaking no matter what, so I give you credit, and, and it takes a lot to pitch your idea and to get it published even harder. So uh, good work on that. Now here's something pretty cool. Uh, Jerry Kuzman's doing the forward to the book. Why Jerry Kuzman? How'd you get him? And uh, talk a little bit about that connection over there. Yeah, so that connection started when I had a podcast of my own about – Three and a half years ago, I started a baseball history podcast, very modestly, uh, did it on my own, produced it on my own, edited it on my own, just kind of for fun, kind of a hobby, uh, which which this book then turned into. Uh, but uh, I didn't, I wanted to, I, I guess one of my first, the subject of one of my first few episodes was there was the, the Hall of Fame Veterans Committee vote or whatever they call it now for the era that Gil Hodges is in. And I said, well, I would like to get someone to talk about Gil Hodges. My dad suggested, uh, I couldn't find you know, Jerry Kuzman's 
phone number or uh, email, he said, well, why don't you just write a letter, put your email address on there, and then he'll, if he wants, if he's interested, he'll reach out to you. Uh, I sent the letter out, and about a week later, I look at my phone at work, and I see, you know, you see on your iPhone, it says, you know, Gmail, it says, like, who's sending you an email? It says, Jerry Coos, and I go, what? I had to, like, shake my head. Uh, so, <laughs> was able to talk with him, and I'm trying to think when I actually broached, uh, reached out to him for the forward. I guess it was about uh, under a year ago, just told him, you know, reminded him who I was, and he was all up for it. Uh, so, and in fact, I just sent him away a free copy of the book today in a small token of appreciation for, for what he did. Uh, and the selection of him, I guess, is a combination of he was easy to get to for me. I didn't have to jump through hoops. Uh, and also because he's the best left-handed pitcher in Mets history, he gets, he's probably the most underrated player, pitcher or player in Mets history, just because when you pitch behind the shadow of Tom Seaver, you're going to be underrated, um, no matter how well you do. So, in my opinion, he was he was a great choice, not just for ease of accessibility on my part, uh, but also just in, in the general realm of Mets history. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. You you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, you know, I'm looking at his numbers as we speak, and Jerry Kuzman, you're right, gets overlooked because of Tom Seaver. He gets overlooked in Mets history. I think a lot of times, and maybe it's because in this era, you're dealing with a lot of people who come from a different or grew up in a different generation. People talk more about Al Leiter than Jerry Kuzman, but Jerry Kuzman's a very underrated player in Mets history. So, uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to go through the book. Obviously, it's coming out on Monday. You know, you have 30 lists, like you said, but on that topic, you know, for me, just thinking as you're talking about Jerry Kuzman being underrated, I'm trying to think, what are some, you know, you always, you know, Mets fans tend to go to the negative. There's always the most overrated, the worst free agent signings, worst losses. Okay, that's, that's I guess, part of, of some of the, the gut punches that the fan base has taken over the course of their history. But there's been a quite a few players, I think, that do get overlooked at times. Uh, sometimes Mets fans like guys like Joe McEwing better than maybe a Jerry Kuzman. Uh, I think of some other underrated players. John Olerud sometimes comes to mind for oh, yeah. me. Uh, what, what, what about you? What other underrated players, you know, in the spirit of this kind of book, you know, give me a couple of topics that I guess they can, you know, the fans will get in the book that they'll appreciate. But on that, you know, underrated from that standpoint, because there's quite a few players I think that could fall into that category like Jerry Kuzman. Yeah, no, Jerry Kuzma, I think definitely. Uh, I, you said John Olerud. I totally agree with that. Uh, one of the lists, you know, a lot of these are top ten lists, but also there are two lists about the, the all-time team uh, and the all-time second team. I added a designated hitter just to make it ten. Uh, so it's, you know, the whole by position. It's numbered by position with, you know, pitcher being number one, of course. Uh, and John Olerud is on the second team at first base, uh, backing up Keith Hernandez. And I thought that – I was thinking about it. I said, well, you know, John Allard or Carlos Delgado. Carlos Delgado is certainly worthy. But John Allard, just the way he, he got on base so consistently, and I think – and I'm thinking off the top of my head, he had some kind of streak. It was like 40 games of, of getting on base. Uh, but I think he had the highest batting average for a single season in Mets history. Um, and another guy that I think is totally underrated from that same era is Edgardo Alfonso, uh, kind of in the same vein of – Jerry Kuzman playing behind Seaver. Alfonso had a lot of his career behind Piazza, and he got totally forgotten. Of and and you know was an All Star in 2000 and was really a a, a, a valuable piece to that team when they made back to back playoff appearances in 99 2000. And another person I think and you said Al Leiter. It's another person I think it's uh, undervalued because of the era in which he pitched. Uh, that he was pitching in the steroid era. 
and his ERA doesn't look as as good when compared to someone you know like Tom Seaver or even like John Matlack or Jerry Kuzman. But in that era, he was he was a, a great pitcher and very important to the Mets. And a last person, last person, I think it's I don't want to say underrated, but I think just he gets scapegoated is Carlos Beltran. I think you know everyone remembers taking strike three in Game Seven of the 2006 NLCS, uh, and he got injured a lot at the end before he was traded to the Giants. But I think I think that was uh, that NLCS game. It's an easy uh, he was an easy scapegoat for being the last out, but he was really. Uh, he really did a lot for the Mets during his, I think it was at seven years. I think he should go to the Hall of Fame. If he goes to the Hall of Fame, I think he'll be wearing a Mets cap. That's a great point. You know, there's no playoffs. There's no collapses without uh, Carlos Beltran. If, if they don't even get to mm-hmm. be relevant during those seasons without uh, Carlos Beltran, that is a great point. Brian Wright with me, author of the book, Mets and Tens. It's coming out on Monday. You can check out Brian on Twitter, at BrianWright86. You could also... Get him on Instagram at ba right eighty six. He's on Facebook. Mets and Tens one zero s is uh, the Facebook page, and uh, it looks like it's going to be some interesting Mets debate. And uh, yeah, the season's underway, and we're talking about the twenty eighteen team. But uh, it's always fun throughout the baseball season when there's so much downtime to you know look at some of these books that are coming out and and discuss it and 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 have intellectual. It looks like this will be an intellectual type of uh, of of Mets debate. Uh, for you, what are, what was one of the toughest lists that you had to put together? What was one that you, you, you put out there and said, you know, this is a lot tougher than I thought it was going to be, and you, you really grinded it out and, and made something out of it? Well, yeah, the one list, and going back to, to Kuzman, he was an easy number one, was the Southpaw starters list on left-handed pitchers. That was one list that I've looked back on. I don't know if this, this answers the question adequately, but I looked back on it and said, well, I should probably – I would have changed – certain, you know, portions of this list. Um, and, you know, I, maybe that, maybe saying that hurts my credibility, but in my opinion, it's, 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 it's the, the whole spirit of what this book is about. Uh, you, you have a list and you see it and you go, well, someone will read it and go, well, I think it should be different. Well, I guess me looking at it again, I said, well, I think that should be different. Um, I think when you have beyond Kuzman, I think there's a lighter, Matlack, uh, Ojeda, uh, Sid Fernandez, Glavin, Viola, Santana. They, that was kind of a list where I think I, I could have, I'm not going to reveal everything, but I could have arranged it differently. I think I put, you know, and Santana a little low. Sid Fernandez might be a little low. So that was one that I I, I, I strained with. And I think I if I had to do that over again, I would do it a little differently. Uh, and like I said, that's the spirit of the whole book. You, I'm like a reader now looking at my, my work since I finished it a few months ago and going like, wow, that should be higher. That guy should be, he did this, you know, he, he had, you know, his ERA was one of the best at Chase Stadium. I think Fernandez had one of the best ERAs at Chase Stadium. He might be, you, you know, know, he might be above Ojeda. So uh, that was the list. I think that was, that was tough. And another one, just because there were so, it was just so, there wasn't a big uh, difference between them was the single game hitting performance list. Uh, there, you know, no one's had four home runs in a in a game for the Mets, so you couldn't have one. You didn't have one particular game that stood out in terms of hitting performances. So there were a lot of there were more than ten that were worthy of being on the top ten list. So that was tough to narrow down. Yeah, and Sid Fernandez, you know, we just were talking about underrated players. I mean, three times in his career led the league in least amount of hits per nine innings, and the one loss record wasn't bad, but. I mean, this is a guy that very easily should have won 20 games a couple of times. And, and I've talked to – I was talking recently to Doug Sisk, one of his former teammates, and I said, you know, I always felt Sid 
was from one standpoint the best pitcher on that staff, even better than Doc. And he says, mm-hmm. you know something, Davey Johnson used to say he's the guy that you would bet could on any given night get a no hitter. If you look at the peripherals, yeah. he would be appreciated much more today with oh, yeah. more data, more advanced metrics. And and I would be, guess that while you go through a lot of these analysis to do this book, as you have access now to baseball reference and fan graphs and baseball perspectives and all different types of analysis, I'm wondering, do you get a better appreciation of players that you grew up watching and look back and go, you know, my perception of him is so much different now as I look at look back and look at the breakdowns and look at the analysis and look at how the game is viewed today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you said, Fernandez, I think Fernandez might be an ace today because his big hangup was like in the seventh inning, he, he'd, you know, tire out. Well, today he'd be gone anyway. So uh, he might be an ace. And to go to your point about looking at the, um, the, the, the greater statistical analysis, I mean, you do get an appreciation of the guys like, for me, being now 30 years old, guys like Edgardo Alfonso and John Olrud, who you, you appreciate when they play, but you didn't realize their contributions in terms of getting on base and how well they feel. Um, so that, those kind of things. And even guys back, and you know, going back to underrated players are just people that are forgotten, uh, like the early years of the Mets. I mean, the Mets weren't, you know, the Mets were nothing to write home about. Uh, they were popular only in the sense that they were a new team and, and they were lovable. Uh, but there were players that, that did fairly well in, in very adverse circumstances when you talk about you know, someone like Al Jackson or, or Roger Craig, who, you know, they didn't have much uh, run support. I mean, they weren't the, the best pitchers, but they were better. They would have been better on other teams. So it, it's interesting to try to compare different eras. Well, how does, you know, someone from 1965 compare to someone from 2005? That's kind of difficult to do, and, and in a way you kind of have to make your own judgment. But these new statistical analysis, you know, like you said, fan graphs and, and baseball reference, make that a little easier era did you know obviously a younger guy I, I grew up watching the Mets started watching late 80s and, and the 90s is kind of like okay I you know that's my era um I don't know the 70s I, you know even early 80s when Davey Johnson first took over I was seven years old so it was hard for me to say okay I, I can remember that what era as you did some research on history would you have liked to maybe have gone back and been Yourself now with the mature analysis baseball fan, like, and maybe go back and relive. Is there one that you really would, you know, you would dive it into and say, now that would have been pretty cool to be around during that time? I, I do. It's kind of interesting. I, I would love to, to – the team that, that I gravitated to right away was the 86 team because, uh, like, you know, I was – my dad had the 86 highlight video. He had the, uh, the history of the Mets, the 25th anniversary video, and that was when I was five or six years old. That's what I – I clung to uh, and made me a Mets fan. And then, and then you watch the real thing when you're five or six and 92 or 93 and you, and you, you wonder where did it all go? Uh, I later had to find that out. Um, but that, if I had, if I could like be around the team in the eighties with the, the mid eighties, especially uh, mid to late eighties, uh, there's just the brashness of, of that team and how good they were despite, you know, not totally fulfilling expectations winning just one world series. That would be kind of fun. I mean, I have a debate with my dad my, my dad would rather relive 69, which he was around for, than 86 because 69 was just so unexpected. In 86, there was all that pressure to win. So it's it would be interesting to try to maybe live through like 87 or 88, and might be it might be different today. There might be uh, there might have been a lot more pressure. I mean, I know there was pressure back back on the on the team back then, uh, 
they're probably trying to live through it and trying to say, oh, you know, this team needs to, to come through. Uh, they may not have – the window of opportunity may be closing. That might cause a little angst as opposed to maybe the 60s or, you know, 69 especially with uh, just everything coming together at one point. Yeah, that's a good point because seasons like 97, you know, where there wasn't expectations, even to a certain degree, 2006, where you thought they'd be better, but nobody thought they'd, they'd be so dominant during the regular season. And then obviously the expectations enhanced and the playoffs and what have you. But some of those seasons stand out and are close to fans' hearts because they were that innocent climb, so to speak. So to a certain degree, 2015 was that. No one expected oh, yeah. that team to go to the no. World Series. Is there a season, like for me, forget that for a minute. For me, 1999 is always that season. Forget the championship runs or World Series appearances. 1999 has always been that season where I always look back. So that was a fun season. It ended poorly. That team could have won a championship. Maybe some say should have beaten the Braves, even though they were down 3-0. You look back, that was a really tough offensive team. The pitching wasn't great, the starting pitching, but the bullpen was good. Um, that season always, to me, is always close to my heart. Uh, is there a season like that for you? I don't know if you get into this in the book, but is there a season like that for you that you look back, and maybe it's not the 86 of the list, but it's fun for you personally, for Brian Wright? Yeah, n- 1999 was the first, uh, probably my, it's probably my favorite team if I had to make a uh, determination. There's no list on here that's that's personal, but if I had to say my number one team would be 1999 because that was the first uh, playoff team that I could remember uh, just the way that, and it's funny if, if it happened now, the way that, that season ended where they were a game behind the Braves and then Chipper Jones single-handedly beat them and they were uh, with in perilous danger of missing the playoffs again. I don't know if I want to go through that, but being a kid, it was kind of, it was, it was fun to go through and, and the whole playoff it's series. It's fun looking back now. It wasn't fun living through the seven game losing streak. I, I mean, watching it, I'm like, that Oh my God, it was <laughs> had a heart attack you know all this you know you thought they were you would put them dead and buried seven eight different times in that uh during that three-week stretch but 99 was yeah 99 was probably my number one uh you talked about 2006 was the most fun i had uh for a season just because it was over so easily so quickly it well, there was no pennant race uh it obviously did not end well but there was no pennant race so that was kind of fun just to watch the team and to know that you pretty much had it in the bag um and then 2007 happened, so maybe nothing is safe. But uh, 2015, specifically July 31st through <laughs> early November of 2015, was the most enjoyable time I've ever had being a Mets fan. That was the most satisfying time. And, and maybe it's more satisfying for me because I live just outside of Washington, D.C., and you had wow. the Nationals and their fans kind of being a little uh, chesty, and the players especially, kind of thinking like, okay, well, the Mets, they're just – they're just, you know, they, we'll take care of them eventually. And, they, and of course, they never did. And, and being there, being in that three-game series, which they came back around Labor Day, uh, came back in every game, uh, that was being, being present for those three games was, was as enjoyable as I've ever had being a Mets fan. That's a great point. A couple of things on that. You know, 2006 to me was a love affair between the fans and the team. And when Beltron struck out, that love affair turned sour. It's like they fell in love with this team. Then the fans, you know, this happens. I mean, teams get beat. When they got beat, it set a negative tone for the next couple of years, the collapses, what have you. 2015, a lot of times to me, was the reverse of what the Phillies did to the Mets in 07, where the Mets really in 07 were like, ah, go away, go away. They'll, they'll go away. And they never really went away. They hung around. And then eventually the Phillies said, well, you don't want this thing. We'll take it. And the Mets were like, no, 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 we'll take it. And then the, they couldn't get it into gear. 
And the Mets basically mm-hmm. did that to the Nats. And that series that you mentioned, the Labor Day series in Washington, to me that was the reverse of when the Phillies came to Shea Stadium in late 07 said, yes. we're going to take this, forget about it. And, and you walk away shell-shocked, and you never recover from that. Uh, even though it got a little yeah. tighter after that. The Nats made a small little run. They never recovered from that. It always was satisfying from that standpoint because it was like revenge against a, a different team. But, like, I saw this movie before. I kept saying to myself, and, it, and I know how it ends, and this time it might end in the right way for a Mets fan. Yeah, 2007, I remember that series you were talking about. And that was a little different just because it was the Mets still up, but you could <laughs> you could see them teetering. But you said, okay, well, they can get it back together. And, and as you said, they never did. It was, I mean, it was like watching – a, a train wreck in front of your eyes. You were just wondering how they were going to lose this game, and they usually lost it with, by the bullpen. Uh, and and that last and that last game, I mean, the, the second to last game they won, but the, the vital organs of the team were no longer functioning. I mean, that 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 last game with Tom Glavin was just it was over before it started almost. Um, and that, you know, as you said, 2006 looks a lot worse. I'm worse. I, I'm using loosely when. You see, you see what help happened in the subsequent years, 2007, 2008, and then that era of, of being in the wilderness. If, to, if, if the Mets won the World Series in 2008, no one would really care about 2006, and no one would, would be blaming Carlos Beltran for a strikeout. So it, it's it kind of it, the, the postscript uh, kind of uh, tells you how the, the actual event is judged. No, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, as we wrap up here, and I have Brian Wright with, we, with me, Mets and Tens uh, coming out on Monday. Check it out. Go to Amazon. Go to your bookstore. Uh, we'll let Brian, I know the May, Brian's going to have an event locally here in New York, so we'll, we'll let him plug that. But any, uh, I guess we'll go to the negative side. There's plenty of negative always to talk about, but are there any lists like, I know you mentioned villains earlier, but, you know, most overrated players, worst managers, worst seasons. Let's We've talked a lot of positives, and that's good, but I know that you probably have some lists that, you had to go through that might bring up some painful memories to uh, to Mets fans as they go through the book and Mets history. Yeah, there's in, there's one entire section of the book, so it's broken down into eight sections, like beginnings, pitching, uh, hitting. But there is one list or one section just called anguish. So it has villains, most disappointing teams, devastating losses, and busts. Um, and there's also another list that has managers. Not, I mean, I guess you can make your own judgment on who's the worst. I mean, it's only a top 10. So uh, the anguish chapter, I, I joke with someone else in another interview, I, I had to write it <laughs> laying on a couch, almost like I was going to the therapist, even though it was fairly, right. I want to say easy, relatively easy to do. And nothing of this book was easy, but it was relatively easy to write that part for, for some weird reason. Maybe I have some, something, <laughs> something wrong with me that I, I'm, it's better for me to write the bad stuff than the, than the great stuff. Um, so it was, uh, for instance, you know, disappointing, disappointing teams. We talk, I mean, we can even go back to last year. I mean, that's on the list. I mean, I had a list all set, and then you watch 2017 unfold, and you, you realize you have to amend that top ten list. Uh, and then as far as devastating losses are concerned, we talked about 2006, uh, Game 7 of the NLCS. That's up there, um, along with that 1988 uh, NLCS Game 4, uh, three games of that 2015 World Series, the Game six of the 99 NLCS, uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, re- more recent uh, bad losses. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Hey, worst managers in history. Did Terry Collins make it at all, or uh, am I am I dealt? Because everyone gets mad. I keep bringing up Terry Collins, but I, I would actually actually put him up there in the top three. I'll tell you that. Terry, I guess well, that's Terry, well, the, 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 the well, I guess maybe, maybe, maybe I'm harsher than you are. I have Terry Collins number five. He's behind, and I'll just give it away. I mean, he's behind Gil Hodges, Davey Johnson, uh, Bobby V, and I think Willie Randolph is ahead of him. Yeah. So yeah, so Terry Collins. It, I, I know how, I know your feelings about Terry Collins. I'm I'm I could go both ways on him. I mean, I think as I write it up, I basically said like at one, you know, you could kind of say, well, he 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 righted the, the ship during a bad time. I mean, he was just kind of the uh, the captain of a sinking ship. Uh, well, I guess it was kind of coming up from being sinking uh, when he had to tread water after all the financial issues. Um, but then, you know, when they got good, he was a liability. Um, I you know just to 2017. By that time, it was it was time for a new voice. Um, I, I, I Terry Collins. I don't think he was. Uh, a, I don't think he was capable as a manager. He showed that twice before in Anaheim and and Houston. Um, that doesn't mean that he's not capable of being in a baseball organization. You know, some, I can't be a CEO, but I could be in, you know in a, in a corporation somewhere else. It's not uh, it's not a shot at at his like intelligence. It's just some people just aren't cut out to be managers, and I just didn't. Didn't think Terry Collins, with his mishandling of bullpens and his forgetting to put Michael Conforto in the lineup, uh, I, I just didn't think he was he had the, 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 the acumen to be a baseball manager. Yeah, uh, well, this sounds like a fun book. I think it's going to create a lot of fun debate. Uh, obviously, check Brian out on Twitter at Brian Wright eighty six. Uh, you have an event May nineteenth. Want to let the fans know about it? And uh, what's next for you? So you got this book. Obviously, you're going to be promoting this book. Is this the first mm-hmm. of many? Do you want to tease anything? Uh, let everybody know where they could uh, get your events and, and what they could expect from you over the next few months. As uh, Look, baseball season's off to a good start. It's only one week. If the Mets play well and are in the uh, some sort of race, it'll be good for book sales. You know that. Um, so what's, what's next for Brian Wright? Well, my future plans are to be determined. I would, I would like to, to try this book thing again uh, in another capacity, whether it's the Mets or or something a little more general with regards to baseball. So that's still up in the air. I'm still trying to feel out uh, different uh, different ideas. Uh, also have ideas aside from 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 just writing. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but if they follow me on social media, I will I will let them know. Uh, my event on May 19th is at t- Turn of the Corkscrew in Rockville Center. I believe it's at two o'clock, um, and that's just a, a book discussion. I think it's me and a few other uh, book writers. With Arcadia, we'll be discussing our our nonfiction titles. Um, so, probably more events to come. Uh, again, I'll certainly make people aware on social media. But there really is a lot to be excited about, both personally and with regards to the Mets. I think this will be a a good season. Uh, uh, I think it could be. A, I think it will be a playoff season. I'm I'm expecting it to be a playoff season, whether it's a division title, who knows? But then again, in 2015, I didn't think it was going to be a division title uh, at the least. So. You just have to watch and 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 just enjoy the ride, Brian. This uh, look anybody who's done a book and I haven't. Like uh, I think I told you before the uh, the program, I haven't. This is a tough thing. Uh, you should feel good about it. Uh, putting something like this together, and it certainly seems like it's going to be interesting for the fans, Mets fans, obviously. Uh, but obviously, baseball fans sometimes like to look at other teams and how things are looked at. So good luck with it. Let's catch up again and be well. Alrighty. Thanks so much, Mike. I really appreciate you having me on. And that's Brian Wright. 
interesting stuff, Mets and Tens, and you can get that on Amazon, and uh, you can go on uh, Twitter, at BrianWright86. Mets and Tens is the book, and uh, listen, some interesting stuff to debate. I know sometimes everybody, especially you know, as you get into social media and, and the annals of Twitter or even any other kind of social media site, the debate could get silly and stupid, but that was intelligent. I think there'll be some interesting things that come out of that, and uh, it'd be really interesting to uh, to see the the fan reaction to what is uh, a, a, something different. Something different. You got the Davey Johnson book coming out. Keith Hernandez is on Twitter. He's got a book uh, coming out. We had Skip Lockwood uh, taking us back in time last week. As that seemed to get a good uh, uh, review from the listeners. So we got a lot of stuff coming up as we. We talk about the current Mets team. We look back. We, we look at different types of projects that are out there. That's what's good about the baseball season, that you can go and, and do a ton of stuff. So uh, thank you to Brian Wright for joining us. And uh, let's take a quick break. Let's wrap up, give you the information about my appearance on WLIE later tonight. And uh, we'll chat soon. So we'll be back right after this. Rounded down to first. Gonzalez got it. And the ball game is over. Jerry's familiar, five up and five down for the save. The Mets come from behind twice. They've now won four in a row and six of their first seven to start the season. They've taken the first two from the Nats as they win today, three to two. Well, Stephen Nats pitched the first five. They used five relievers to go the final four. And the Mets get a big win here. And they win again without the home run, a team that relied on home runs. And Gary mentioned it, which we've seen a big trend here. This team has come from behind, and it came from behind twice today. So uh, I just like what I see from this ball club right now. And the Mets are off to a red-hot start. Final thoughts and good stuff from Brian Wright. Uh, really fun segment. Always like get into that. There's more books coming out, and we're going to be, you know, Mets fans have some really cool books coming out. You got a Keith Hernandez book coming out. You got a Davey Johnson book coming out. We talked with Skip Lockwood last week, Brian Wright. So some some good material to kick off the baseball season very early on here in uh, in 2018. So cool stuff from Brian Wright uh, tonight. WLIE. Uh, you guys know Rich Catino has the New York Sports Wrap. I've been a guest on there a couple of times. I will be a guest host on the WLIE Sports Wrap. So if you want to tune in, uh, certainly check it out. Tonight at 8.30, I'll be uh, hosting from 8.30 to 10 p.m. Rich's show. Rich will be calling in uh, from Washington, D.C. He's on assignment down there covering the Mets and the Nationals. Uh, He will be calling in. I think he's going to try to get some audio from a couple of Mets players. I've heard maybe Michael Conforto and Jose Reyes, so we'll see. Obviously, it's on during the Mets game, so if you want to tune down the ESPN broadcast and listen to a little talk, a little sports talk uh, with me, that'd be great. Now, keep in mind, you guys listen to me, and and you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. So, uh, yes, this is going to be very a heavy baseball-related show. I've been thinking about it, and I know the the Rangers fired Elaine Vigneault, and, and there's other things going on with the Knicks a little bit. NCAA tournament just wrapped up, but to me, the Mets and the Yankees and kicking off opening week and talking about them is going to be how I dominate the show and, uh, and, and chat a lot with you guys. So it will be some Yankee talk on there. Uh, Chris Corelli of SNY will be joining me uh, later on in the program 
to talk Yankees, so you can get a little feel of that. And uh, that'll be fun. And I know Rich is going to pop on from uh, uh, from Washington D.C. In the, during the game to chat about the Mets and this quick start. And who knows? Maybe there'll be some other updates uh, along the way. You know, it's only about three o'clock here. I'm recording this podcast on Sunday, so about five hours before game time, and uh, we'll see what happens. So, anyway, want to thank everybody for tuning in here. Of course, want to thank our friend Brian Wright for joining me uh, today, and uh, check out his book, Mets and Tens. Really good stuff over there. Of course, you can check us out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. You can send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media. You can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Desire. Leave me a review on iTunes, much appreciated, and you can get me on The Grueling Truth, which is part of the iHeart Radio Network. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I'll see you tonight on WLIE. Check it out. WLIE. WLIE540AM.com. This is going to be live at 830. Be back. Take care.